I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Hello, welcome back to Slow Mo. I am so delighted to do this thing. So since we've decided that this was going to be our quest for wisdom and coffee, I am now uh, traveling the world and getting you nuggets of wisdom and inspiration from everywhere. I am back uh, in uh, my uh, favorite place in London so far, the farm girl in South Kensington. And what I have today is a typical latte, honestly oat milk latte, which I know I've told you before, is something that is not as easy as you think it is because uh, frosting this milk to this perfection is really not as easy as frosting normal milk. In any case, I'm so grateful. The team here has always been kind to me, Adele and Dominica and the others. So thank you for that. Thank you, Rose, for hosting me once again. And I am here to talk to you about a story of fear a story of inspiration, a story of vulnerability. I am with Vicky Anstey, who is, honestly, makes me look like a wuss. I'll I'll just have to say that openly. If you read her profile, her bio, she says that when she was 40, she decided to face her fears and change her life. She looks 28, so one more lie. She decided at 40, she said, to address all of the ongoing fears that went into her life and go on a journey that sort of tests how far her limits are. And if she can address those limits and confront them, she, I'm going to read so that I don't miss any of them. She is one of the first women ever to participate in the SAS uh, Who Dares Wins on Channel 4. If you look at the clip, I promise you it stopped my heart when she's in the middle of cold water in ice temperature, trying to breathe normally and act as if nothing's happening. As if this is not enough, she then decided to be the uh, record-holding winner of the world record of rowing across the Pacific Ocean at 60-plus days, more than two months. We're going to talk about that in detail. She is an Arctic athlete, marathon athlete. So she runs 230 kilometers in the minus 35 degrees. I'm laughing because I basically walk less than 230 kilometers a month. I do. I walk a little more, but still. And uh, now she's planning to cycle 3000 miles across America, across 17 states in America. just because she can. And when you put it all together, it really is a story of courage, a story of confronting fears. This is not just a physical challenge. A lot of these are a very serious mental challenge. And what I love most about Vicky's story is that uh, she talks about that not to tell the world that she's the superhero that can fix everything and do everything. As a matter of fact, She often talks about her vulnerabilities, how she grew up sort of missing her parents' expectations, how she started working in advertising and marketing like all of us in the corporate world or in the business world, but sort of failed to find herself there and then shifted. It is a story of a 20 years limiting marriage and so many other vulnerable stories that I would hope to uh, get Vicky to share with you like she shared with me. And uh, I will hope that it will inspire you that when we will put our lives to our own expectations, we actually have a much better chance to reach our potential. Long introduction of one of my heroes. I love having you here, Vicky. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And and actually, it's a great story in itself as to how we came to be here today, because I posted something on my Instagram to share one of your wonderful messages and um, you reached out to me to thank me for sharing it, which I thought was such a nice thing to take the time to do. I'm sure you get lots and lots of messages every day, but uh, yeah, and and having read a couple of your books, 
And in particular at that point, uh, it was in Soul for Happy, I think, you wrote an incredible section about fear and how yeah, I did. to deal with Fourth fear. Chapter, yeah. And uh, that spoke to me. I mean, it, it literally felt like an echo of the way that I have come to deal with fear in my life. And um, yeah, that's how we got chatting. Yeah, I mean, the other side, of course, is I looked at your Instagram profile. <laughs> and I mean, I, I actually do, believe it or not, when people speak to me very often, I, I find it difficult to answer someone if I don't connect with them on a personal level. So I frequently, when I get a message, I first look at the profile of the, of the person that sent it. And yours was not shy. Let's, <laughs> let's put it this way. Yours was, was a profile of someone, I don't know if I may say this, who is searching, who is almost unsure if this is really herself yet. That's a very, 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 very courageous thing to do because most of us actually fear being judged, being looked at as I'm not sufficient, I'm not good enough. And what you're actually doing is you're going the opposite direction and basically saying, I'm going to go all the way and see how far this Vicky of mine yeah. is going to be. Yeah, that's very perceptive and absolutely spot on. And I think that goes back to the fact that I really only in the last five years started to explore what my potential is. And that is an incredibly enlightening and actually quite addictive um, process to be in and and it kind of comes with no expectation because I'm not some kind of born athlete or lifelong adventurer and you know I started life in a corporate environment and kind of did all the conventional things that people do and went to school and went to uni and got married and and then just yeah really had a sort of sense of feeling unsettled in my life and feel, feeling like limited um, and stifled I suppose and yeah, just, I guess, living a life that didn't actually serve me and mm. being in a relationship at that time that didn't serve me, a 20-year relationship. And I think looking back in all honesty on, on my life growing up, I was living, living up to a version of myself that um, was limiting my potential. And yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because sometimes there doesn't have to be some big event that leads to change it can sometimes it can just be a little light that switches on in your head and and you decide as I did at the age of 40 that perhaps the rest of my life didn't have to be a repeat of the previous 40 years and that there could be something different in the future for me so there was no no light bulb event nothing that no I d I, there really wasn't you know I mean I think my relationship had kind of reached its its end but there wasn't any major event. But I think what had happened, obviously it's great, isn't it, to be able to look back with hindsight on your, on your life and have a bit of clarity um, and, and perspective to be able to do that. And I think what I, I'd sort of unwittingly been doing was creating coping mechanisms around um, daily physical training, which had the effect of, of obviously increasing my physical strength, but then also having a knock-on impact into my emotional and mental strength and I think I just kind of got to a point with that where I felt strong enough and able to change my course um, and I think there's a huge correlation between physical resilience and mental resilience. Yeah but then still I mean there must have been one morning where you woke up when you said okay no more of this I want something different and the morning before you woke up and said, okay, I'm going to go and continue to be a businesswoman, right? I mean, honestly, not so much. It was kind of bubbling under the surface for just a really, really long time. I mean, a really long time, many years. And I did definitely take a risk with my decision to leave. And I didn't really have a clue where I was headed. I didn't know how to manage my own business, how to manage my own affairs. I didn't have my own bank account. Um, you know, I was really in a very stifling situation and, um, but I just, I guess I instinctively knew that that was what I had to do and it was the best decision that I ever made and I've never looked back and everything that has happened since then has taken me, you know, to find new edges to grow from and, and I hope that process continues forever. Knowing you, I think it will. Let's introduce you a little better than I did to our listeners. So... No, seriously, if, if you guys are not watching on YouTube, just go and watch on YouTube for a second because you truly don't look 
more than 40. You don't look more than 30, right? But then you decide to go and do your biggest fear. So you start with a SAS, right? You were one of the first women to do that. That's right, yeah. So, so it had been running for three series already, and then they announced that women would be allowed to participate, which is quite uh, surprising that it took that long, but there we go. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I, I shared that on my Instagram in sort of celebration of the fact. And, um, and then I was just inundated by friends and followers who said, well, are you going to apply? Which wasn't my intention. <laughs> And uh, is that how is that how we get you to do things? We, we <laughs> much, you? Yeah, just bully me into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, of course, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And when you can't stop thinking about something, you have to do it, right? So, not um, really, no. <laughs> so I thought, well, the first step is just putting in an application form. But how hard is that? Mm -hmm. And then praying that they reject me. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then, and then I was in that process, and I was doing physical physical capability tests and having interviews and submitting more and more information about myself until I finally found myself in Chile. Uh -huh. um, and and it was very chilly. It was pretty <laughs> chilly at times, yeah. yeah. So what, what was the game about? Like, what uh, were you so, trying to um, Yeah, so basically. exactly. So if you haven't seen the program, it's basically, it's run by former SAS operatives. So uh, there are four guys who run run the program. They've all been in either the SAS or the SBS. And um, it's basically just about testing human limits using SAS techniques around, you know, physical, physical, pushing physical limits, but then more so in order to get to your mental capacity. So they aim to uh, kind of destroy you physically and mm. then see what you've got left mentally. Mm. Mm. And honestly, was the most life- I hesitate to say life-changing, but definitely life-enhancing thing um, I'd, I'd ever done. And, um, you know, I learned so much. So tell me the, the most difficult of those tests. Uh, well, I mean, I, was, I knew that I was going to have to deal with water, um, uh -huh. which I had a fear of my whole life, which came really from a near-drowning incident that I'd had as a child. Oh. Yeah, so uh, I, think I, I think I was maybe about six or seven years old, um, on holiday with my parents and my sister, who's a couple of years older than me. And uh, we'd gone into some shallow water and then suddenly got out of our depth. And I panicked. And the only way that I could get my head above the water was to push my sister underneath. And of course, she had to then respond in order to get a breath of air for herself. And I don't know how long it lasted in, in reality. It was probably only a matter of moments before my dad realized and, and kind of hauled us out. But that stayed with me for a really, well, it stayed with me for the, for the rest of my life, really. Not, not always at the front of my consciousness, but always there. Mm. And, and actually, interestingly, when I started to explore what that fear was really about in order to do the row, which of course was, I was going to have to confront it in a really big way at that point. What I realized was that the thing that really stuck in my head was the, the guilt over of course. having, you yeah. know, put my sister in a very life-threatening situation. But of course, I was six years old or seven years old, however old I was, and, and I panicked. But yeah, so, that, so I guess the knock-on effect of that was, you know, of course, I learned how to swim when I was young and I had to do swimming lessons like everyone does. But I would avoid water at all costs. You'd never, I would never be the one on a holiday jumping into a pool or jumping off a boat into deep water. I, you know, I just, I wouldn't ever put myself in that position. And it's actually not that difficult to avoid things when you put your mind to it. Yeah, um, water specifically. Yeah. yeah. I'm one of those people that always puts their finger in the, in the water <laughs> to and see go, how cold. Go, 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 it's too cold. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, in reality, I think I'm causing this to myself because I never jump in. You yeah. put your finger once and, yeah. and you're done, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'd seen the program before. I knew that there were going to be some water-based tasks. I also knew there were going to be some height um, tasks in there as well. I Are also, you afraid of heights? I, as well? well, I didn't have any reason for being afraid of heights, but I you know was of. afraid of heights, yeah. or I thought I was afraid of heights. And I think that was more of a learned behavior from my mother as much as anything. Interesting, isn't it, how sometimes you can actually have a fear of something for a reason and then other times for no reason at all. Anyway, so, so yeah, I mean, there were a variety of really challenging situations that they put us in, having to walk across ladders, across a huge, like, 200-foot ravine, 
um, forward abseiling off cliff faces. We did water tasks where we had to kind of stay afloat for periods of time. Of course, the ice holes, which you've seen in, in the video that you mentioned. But actually, probably the hardest of all was the mental interrogation that they put us through. So there's a, there's a section at the end of the course, if you last that long, where you go into, into interrogation and uh, they put a bag on your head and they put headphones wow. over your ears and you have to endure hours and hours of quite brutal treatment um, and verbal interrogation at times. And they kind of cycle through putting you in stress positions. And of course it's freezing cold um, and you're sleep deprived and you're hungry and, you know, and it's all about just testing your, your mental limits. All of that because people dared you on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else I can do. <laughs> and you passed all th through all of this. Uh, well, I didn't quite reach the, the end. So only a few people actually passed the selection. But I got right to the end of the course. So I did 11 days. Um, oh and it was, God. it was 11 days long. I, I just, um, I tapped out at, after eight hours of, of interrogation. So I'm, I'm now thinking I should interview you for 11 days and eight hours, right? <laughs> <laughs> because then you would break. So can I ask a very open question? And I don't know the right or wrong answer to this. Do you think this is a kind of task that a woman should participate in? Um, I think it's the kind of task that anyone can participate, can participate in. I don't know about should, um, <laughs> but, um, but I do think that in life we have to, we should test our limits and, and as I said, create new edges because they're the reference points that you can only ever use to grow from. So knowing that you can handle a situation like that sets you up for being able to handle 60 days at sea. And of course, it's all relative. I'm not saying that anybody needs to go through SAS interrogation or Roman Ocean, but pushing your limitations, I think, is and an working out how to endure and how to get through that in your own way is, I think, the only way. The reason I ask this openly is because I compare, you know, I write several books at the same time. And one of the books I'm writing is called Her. And in Her, I basically compare the corporate world where a woman sadly has to play by the masculine traits to be be successful to the game if you've ever seen the game american ninja warriors and in american ninja warriors it is an obstacle course so it's it's a lot more dependent on physical if you're mm. taller for example yeah. you're more likely you're to, to right you have a very significant yeah. advantage if you're stronger and you can carry heavier things you have a much more advantage and and of course when they opened it up to women women participated but it wasn't a fair participation the one that you're actually describing plays to a woman's resilience ability to, you know, to endure the ability to, to, uh, to, you know, I think we men, we don't do pain very well. We don't do resilience well, very well. Interestingly enough, that when they started to restrict our food at a certain point on that, in that process, the mm -hmm. women adapted to that far better. Absolutely. A lot of the men were quite panicked about how were they going to get enough, exactly like enough we need calories. Burgers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, there weren't any burgers, but yeah. <laughs> don't, don't. Um, and, you know, sleep deprivation, I think the women, women do much better, Adapted yeah, raising much kids better. and so on, yeah. And, and interesting, obviously the series that I participated in was the first one that women were in. I think we're, I think they've done another three or four series since. The one that I did, only one uh, woman got through and two guys. Mm -hmm. The most recent series, four women were in the final. Oh my God. That's incredible. I, I have to study this a little more, actually. <laughs> That's quite impressive. Even though I, I wonder why a show of that nature would get so much appeal when in reality, most of us would never actually use those skills at all. But I think the idea that you're saying of, I want to test my limits. Yeah. I want to, I want to see how far I can go. Uh, is well, I think it has the appeal because it's easy to sit there and say, oh, I could do that or I could do that <laughs> from your armchair. And actually having watched the previous series before I did it, I was able to say that because only men were participating in it. Yeah. So when it actually came to well, okay, I'm going to have to put my money where my mouth is now. Yeah, because of an Instagram yeah, there. Exactly. <laughs> Come on, Vicky. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I do think it's all relative. And I think that one of the things that got me through that, certainly through the mental interrogation, was that I would, I had recently left my marriage. I was mentally in quite a lot of turmoil. 
very high anxiety state, which of course you are in during that process. You're, you know, sleep deprived, your adrenaline is through the roof the whole oh, time. Wow. And, um, and you know, there were honestly times where I just felt like this is not as bad as, as my husband. <laughs> well, I won't say that, but this is not as bad as, as what I've left behind at home and some of the awful moments of my divorce. And so that's where you start, I think, to have those conversations in your head that lead to greater resilience because you can use useful comparison and, um, yeah, and, 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 and kind of move on. So let's, let's continue introducing you. So, so you finish this and instead of like going home and just having coffee for a while, you decide to dare yourself further, right? So you get into a boat, a tiny boat really yeah. with two other women. Yeah. And you're now rowing across the Pacific. Well, so actually how the story went was that I was at an event, like a press event for SAS Who Does Wins. And then, and then and Instagram someone, pinked. No, someone, <laughs> someone sat next to me and asked me, would I like to row an ocean? And I didn't have a good enough reason to say no. And I knew that I still hadn't confronted my fear of water. And so I just thought, yeah, okay, I'll work out. I, and I had no idea. I didn't know what an ocean rowing boat looked like. I didn't know really what rowing an ocean actually entailed, really. Um, but I just was on this path at, by that point that was just so life enhancing and had taken me on this incredible trajectory already in literally just, I mean, less, in less than a year from the life that I had been living. And I just thought, well, what? I mean, why not? How often do these opportunities come up in life? Yeah. And I think I was just then in a different place of being able to welcome those opportunities in and know that I had done something previously that had equipped me even more to be in a position to be able to do that. And yeah, so, so I said yes. And then I was in this crazy ocean rowing world, having to raise finance to do it obviously having to get to know my crewmates, having to tackle... You have never met them before. Well, I literally had to get to know them. So um, they, it was a, a team called Girls Who Dare. And, um, you know, they'd been sort of established for a little while, but didn't have a penny in the bank at that point. And, uh, you know, the crew kept kind of chopping and changing, people dropping in and out when they realized the extent of the commitment. And It is a big commitment. Huge yeah. commitment. And, um, yeah, so... I ended up in a involved, heavily involved in a project that actually by the end took three years before we left of raising all the finance and um, equipping ourselves with all the skills and, and knowledge. You have to, there are a whole series of courses that you, of course, you have to do to be able to row an ocean. You can't just go out there and paddle for a couple of months. And, um, and then COVID hit. And um, yeah, so I was meant to do the row in 2020 with two other girls the original girls that invited me in and then the race was postponed and they couldn't defer their places to the following year. So I was in the situation where as the least experienced of all three of us, I had the option to hold on to the boat for another year, find new crewmates, hold on to the sponsorship that we'd raised. And I just knew that I couldn't walk away from it. And I had to kind of see that through as much for myself as for the kind of obligation that I felt like I had towards all of our sponsors and our supporters. You didn't sort of go like, ah, it's COVID. <laughs> oh, I'm so convenient. sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry, guys. You know, I'm uh, not going to no. have to do this anymore. No. no, because I have this really, it actually annoys me, this kind of real determined streak that, uh -huh. you know, when I say I'm going to do something, I, I won't quit until it's done. And um, I, you have no idea the ideas I have in my mind now. <laughs> I mean, like I can get you to write books for me just or, okay. right, or, on a dirt, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so I had to find two crewmates, two new crewmates. Two new ones. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay. And one of them I only met in San Francisco on the start line just a few days before we left. Good. So yeah, that was a, an interesting... Were, were they fun? Were they nice people? <laughs> um, so... Okay, that answer is not very... Yeah, my hesitation may tell you everything you need to know. Well, I mean, I met one of them about six months before we did it and kind of got to create a, a, a relationship with her. And then people kind of came in, left again, and they realized how, how much was involved. And so actually, in the end, one of her friends stepped in at the last minute 
hence why I only got to meet her in San Francisco. So it was a very difficult dynamic where uh, it was kind of a two-one situation right from the get-go. Two people who knew each other very well and had known each other for many years. And of course, I'd been working on the project for three years prior and felt very kind of protective about it and, the, you know, the protective over the purpose of what we were there to do and the message that we were trying to send out. And, um, you know, and I, I just think because of the situation and, the, and the, the pandemic and the fact that we hadn't all ever been in one place at one time, we just didn't spend enough time getting to know each other. And, you know, you're going to go and do an endeavor like that. You really have to know each other, understand each other, trust each other, understand each other's triggers. And also, you know, the thing for me that I felt we didn't do was to give space and permission to share our vulnerabilities and our fears and our emotional responses um, to things. And, you know, I was doing that row as a means to confront a big fear Yes. That I'd had my whole yeah, life. So, so by then you still were afraid of water. Right? Uh, well, I was, and I'd done a lot of work on it and I'd done some cognitive behavioral therapy, which is where I worked out that actually my fear wasn't necessarily of water and I was strong and I could swim, but it was, what if I harm someone else? Which sounds completely irrational, but that's how fear works, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd done some CBT work and I'd done a lot of um, swimming coaching as well. So I'd gone out to do open water swimming with a coach which had resulted in a number of panic attacks. Oh, wow. Um, which wasn't necessarily ideal, but, you know, I pretty much scraped. And, of course, all the gyms were shut, the pools were shut, even open water lakes were closed because of COVID. So it was very limited, the kind of access that we had to any of this stuff to prepare properly. And, um, yeah, so our ability to prepare well, thoroughly, was really limited. Yeah, so I, I, I think I really needed to show up on that row as my authentic self and with all my fears and all my vulnerabilities. Um, and I never really felt able to do that. And so I guess the truth of it for me anyway is it was a quite an isolating, quite a lonely experience. And um, I was seasick for 23 days. Yeah, I read that. Which I think really affected our team dynamic as well because... Mm -hmm. Over the course of 23 days, of course, the other two had got into a pattern with, you know, how things would work. And the only thing that made me feel better was to row. So I didn't miss a single shift for that whole time, but I didn't eat a single meal either. And I, it still staggers me to, to think, how is that possible? But again, that's a learning to take to realize what our bodies are capable of. It's amazing. Um, and I'm sure I perhaps absorbed some of the food that I was trying to eat, but, you know, I, I was violently ill. Um, the whole time but other than being able to row and sleep I was pretty much incapacitated so you know a lot of the jobs on the on the boat which are <laughs> relatively limited once you've done 24 hours it's the same thing every 24 hours thereafter but you know I I think that did affect our team dynamic to some extent and of course after 23 days when I felt better and able to um, contribute meaningfully to everything else, not just the rowing, um, there was a sort of an established pattern that was really difficult to kind of involve myself in. Yeah. And, and then, you know, you tell yourself things and you make assumptions and, you know, and there was some bad behavior, I'll be honest, which I can remember clearly and rationalize to myself. But I think as we all are prone to do, I made assumptions about things and, you know, got into kind of negative ruminations in my head. And, and, you know, as you know, all too well, you are the guru on this stuff, but that doesn't end well, you know? So I kind of went through, I would say a process through 60 days of working out for myself that the only way I could get through it was by actually processing my emotions and, um, giving them space and time. And so I would, aside from the team dynamic, it's actually quite a lonely existence anyway, because of course you're rowing behind someone else. So you can only see their back and the other person is asleep in the cabin. So you're on a rotation of three hours on, three hours off, and you row with one and you row with the other, and then you row on your own. And um, 
you know, so I kind of sit on deck rowing and reliving, trying to relive all the happy memories that I could think of in absolutely tiny, minute detail, trying to kind of create some happiness and uh, in myself and, and kind of lift myself out of the isolating situation that I felt I was in. And, and then I'd talk to the moon and I'd imagine that I could send messages back to people at home and think that maybe they were looking up at me at the same time that I was, you know, looking at the moon. All these just weird things that I found myself doing. And then sometimes I'd just sit and cry, just silently in the dark. But in, and, and that was, you know, I knew that I couldn't change the situation. I tried everything in my power to get things back on track. And, and, and of course, there were good days and there were also bad days. It wasn't hideous for, for 60 days. But I think at a certain point, I just felt like I, that I'm not going to change the situation. So the only thing that I can control here are my own emotional responses. And um, and so, you know, we we got the world record, which is an incredible thing. Especially with the additional torture of not being yeah. happy with the people that yeah. you're with for 60 days. Yeah. What was the record? 60 days? And- 60 days, 17 hours and six minutes. Six minutes matter, yeah. yeah? Yeah. Imagine that person that does it for 60 days, 17 hours and five minutes next time. <laughs> <laughs> that would, yeah, that would be soul destroying, I've got to say. But, you know, there were moments where we didn't think we were going to get the record mm-hmm. um, because, you know, conditions change and the currents change. And Can I ask you about that? I mean, mm. the Pacific Ocean is quite dangerous. I mean, there are like 11 meter high or 20 meter high yeah. uh, waves. Yeah. And yeah, and uh, actually it's... And, and the boat, boat is tiny. Yeah, the boat's 24 feet. And yeah, you are, you're basically like a, just a little kite bobbing around, you know, in a violent storm. Uh, the, the, For 60 days, Yeah, Vicky. I mean, the weather wasn't always terrible, but it was... We probably had, I'd say, two or three days where we had glass-like conditions on the water. A few days where it was really hot when we were getting into Hawaii. But for the rest of the time, honestly, it was pretty horrible. We spent over 100 hours locked in the cabin, the three of us, in violent storms, where it's watertight, so it's airtight. And you've got condensation dripping off the roof onto your faces. And the three of us couldn't all lie down at one time. I was still being sick. (laughs) Oh, my. It was, you know, it was absolutely hideous. And we were out there for 15 days more than we thought we were going to be. We thought we would smash it in 45 days. And, um, you know, so dealing with those or managing, I guess, our expectations ongoing was pretty tough. And then about 10 days before we were due to finish, we discovered that the travel restrictions were still in place. So nobody would be there to meet us when we got off the boat. Oh. Aside from the race organizers, who were guys that we'd literally just met in San Francisco, didn't know them at all, really. Lovely, very supportive people, but, you know, they weren't close to us. Yeah, we had no one. You know, I'd spent three years imagining that moment of stepping off that boat into the arms of my loved ones and and uh, being able to kind of celebrate an incredible endeavor. And, you know, we had to kind of deal with with that bombshell. But, you know, we didn't, we didn't really talk about that. And that's part of the problem, I, I feel, in hindsight, looking back on it. We didn't talk about things. We didn't process things. We didn't give that space and time to process the emotions that we were, you know, going through. I want to talk about your other, your other achievements, but I won't. I, 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 th- I think I want to stay here for a while. So first of all, that idea of of recognizing your emotions. I mean, l- let's take fear. You're literally a blip in a massively big storm, yeah. right? You're afraid of the water. Yeah. And you are with people you don't really know that well. And I don't know how a person would feel in that situation. So how do you handle that fear? I mean, let's take fear specifically. How do you overcome that? Um. Well, <laughs> I think the first thing well, the hardest thing for anything like that is is taking the first step, was just saying, yeah, I'll do it. And staying in that process, the more and more I learned about what would be involved, the more, I guess, terrified I became. But then in some ways, the more that strengthened my resolve. So it's being in the arena, isn't it? In the, in the first instance is and once a, you're, yeah. when you're there, yeah. it's actually not as bad. Yeah, I write about that like firmly. I I say fear is an exaggerated response 
And the only way to, to conquer it is to face it. Yes. It's like, if you're afraid of public speaking, yeah. book a public speaking gig right now. Yeah. yeah. And actually then once you're there, it's never as bad as never. how yeah. you think it, it never could is. be. And yeah. so, I, I mean, I distinctly remember the first night in the, in the boat, being in the cabin and the weather was terrible. We were in a storm right from the get-go. And we had never been in that boat in that kind of weather. And we didn't, the walls are fiberglass. You know, the cabin walls are really thin. And it feels at times like you're in a head-on collision. It's hard to imagine, is that just a wave? Have we actually hit something? And, <laughs> and you know, you hear all these horror stories about containers bobbing around in the ocean and, you know, that, that I mean, that could happen. But it was just the waves. And, of course, your instincts are to, to panic and think, oh, my God, we're a goner. How how is this boat going to stand up to this kind of weather? Is there anything to be done if that boat flipped or crashed um, or whatever? Yeah, I mean, you have a life raft, but you'd be in a worse place <laughs> in that, in the mm -hmm. sea, in those conditions. And yeah. I won't bore you with the details, but if you had to be evacuated, you would be evacuated into a, you know, a huge vessel where the danger of being rescued is higher than just staying on your boat. Unless your boat is sinking, you're to stay with it. Wow. Yeah. But of course, that didn't happen. And of course, the boat was perfectly capable of withstanding that weather. And, um, and so even just in the first few hours, the first 24-hour period, the first few days, you start to grow in confidence because you think, okay, we've been here before and it's fine. And that's just learned. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And so, well, but that, I think that's the same with any kind of fear, isn't it? Any kind of fear exposure, you realize... You can do it. And, and so then the next time you attempt it, it's not such a huge, overwhelming fear. You know, on a very basic level, I train people who are maybe afraid of jumping up onto a box. Like that actually is, is quite is a known scary fear. for some people. Uh -huh. Am I going to fall on it? Am I going to, you know, smash my shins? And, you know, you coax them through that. They do it a few times and then it's not a problem. It's not a thing anymore. Mm. So. That's not because of the skill. That's because of the realization that yeah. you can actually do exactly. it. Exactly. It's all yeah. perception, mm. I think. But then, but then what about all of those other scenarios? I mean, falling off the boat, for example, yeah. have you feared that? Yeah. What would you do about that when you feel the fear? Well, so we had to learn how to do, you know, a rescue mission. And there were some pretty scary moments. We didn't actually ever fully capsize. So if you were to capsize, the boat would self-right. And in, apparently in four seconds, it would come all the way back around again. There were times when we were thrown off our seats and nearly into the water, but, but not quite. But, you know, we had to learn how to do man overboard drills. But I, I remember at woman one point overboard. somebody's hand, it's a yeah, woman overboard, yeah. I remember at one point somebody's hat flew off the boat. And we thought at the time, oh my God, imagine if that was a person. Let's see how long we can keep what you say, eyes on the person, on the object, it was gone in a, in a second. Like things just vanish out there. And um, that was a really terrifying moment. I did in my introduction say, you make me feel like a wuss, obviously. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, it's quite remarkable. I mean, to be in your presence when you've been through this. But you see, even I can hear myself saying these things and think, did I really do that? Did I really do, Honestly, did you? Yeah, because... <laughs> I mean, okay. I so don't think question. I'm anyone... Did you guys get on the boat? It was COVID. Nobody was out there. You just chilled on a beach somewhere for <laughs> 60... No, we did not. <laughs> okay. We definitely did not. But yeah, I, I do hear... My, I do think back to some of the things that I've done, some of the situations that I've been in. And, and because that wasn't me for 40 years of my life, I, I genuinely do have a hard time accepting that that is me and they are the things that I have done. But the truth of it is that anyone can do these things. And, and we were, for the row, we were a completely novice crew. So usually people who do that have done it before. They have some kind of ocean rowing experience or at least one of the crew does. We had no experience. We had none of the skills. We had to learn everything from scratch and we had to do it all through the various lockdowns um, of, of the COVID pandemic. And, and, we just became really passionate about 
proving to other people that you can do anything, literally anything. I, I believe you put your mind to it. I believe. I believe anyone, anyone in the world can yes. do this. Yeah. Not me, but, <laughs> <laughs> but many others. Many others can. I, I believe I can. I have to say. I mean, in all honesty. I wonder if I would, though. Nobody dare me on Instagram, I'll tell you, <laughs> all right? But the reality is that there is a very interesting side, perhaps to that conviction that you can, that saves you the need to prove it. Have you ever thought of that? Talk me through that. I mean, I know for certain that if I started another startup today, I'll get $50 million funding and I will probably make it into a several hundred million dollars startup. Because I know that. Yeah. I don't feel like starting it. Yeah. 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 Because there's nothing to prove. And I, you know, my $4 t-shirts, honestly, I don't need to do any of that. Right. So the idea is that that concept of let's try to prove, mm. I think there are two sides to it. One is I want to prove to myself, but the other is I want to prove to humanity that humanity is capable of doing this, which yeah. I think sometimes takes us into amazing endeavors. Like, yeah. you know, what you did, especially three women, especially never did it before, right? It's just inspiring beyond belief, right? Yeah. But others start to go and shoot rockets to, the, to Mars or whatever, you know, all of our rich billionaires around the world deciding that, hey, let's not fix climate change. Let's instead prove that we can go to space, right? And I, and I find sometimes that this is a bit of an ego, if that's the right way word to use, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely have that. I've got an intrinsic motivation that is very deep inside of me that I never want to go back to the person that I was mm. and, and live that life of, of limitation. I do want to inspire others through my stories and through my achievements, but not in a, as a means to say, look at me and look at what I've done, but as a mm. means to prove that anyone can do this. And Such a beautiful to message. speak to Such people a beautiful who, message. who I know are in those situations that I have been in. Or to young, I'm doing a load of um, school talks next week. I'm so excited. And mm. workshops with, with um, you know, year five and six girls. And to tell them that they can do anything in life. They're not limited either by being female or by anything in life. And I just want people, anyone, to take a tiny taste of that for themselves and know how to take the first step into experiencing it for themselves on whatever level. And it definitely doesn't have to be anything like the types of adventures that I've been on, that's not for everyone. And I definitely don't ever want to speak in a way that intimidates people or that elicits a response of, well, that I'm not that person and I could never do that. It's all relative to your life and to your goals and your ambitions and who you are. But I truly believe that we are all capable of absolutely anything. I think that's an incredible, to. incredible message, honestly. I mean, did you, would you mind, because I, I find it really hard sitting in front of you to picture the other one, the one that was yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about her? Well, I guess the interesting thing there is that there was a complete contradiction between, well, my, my growing physical capability. So I, you know, I, I used to work in advertising and marketing. I then, to my own surprise, as much as anyone else's, <laughs> <laughs> went into the fitness world and became, I guess, a bit of a pioneer. Uh, and I set up the very first bar studio in the UK. Oh, did you? Have you heard of bar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, my my so, wonderful ex-wife has a beautiful bar studio. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So, so bar didn't exist in the UK mm -hmm. um, when, when I first discovered it. So I spent a lot of time in New York learning my trade and doing all my training out there. And then I decided to take the risk and set up a studio here in London where nobody had ever heard of it. So this contradiction was that I was, you know, physically becoming stronger and stronger all the time because I changed my, my career path, if you like, and my, mm. the success of my business depended on that strength. Professionally, I was fairly successful. I had been successful when I worked in advertising, worked for some really big brands and I loved it. Emotionally, I was just vulnerable, I guess. And I'd got to a point, you know, at the age of 40 where I, didn't really trust my instincts anymore, kind of questioned everything, didn't really feel like I could make even small decisions. I was at times completely consumed by self-doubt, just did not think that I had, I was capable of anything very much. And that was 
you know, a narrative that I'd let myself listen to for far too long. And yeah, it's, it is bizarre to think back to who that person was. Because now you can... Because now I just, yeah, yeah and I just, I've got this <laughs> fire inside of me to, to really try and connect with and talk to other people who might be in those situations and there to tell them... There are so many. There are so many. And so I see many. it, sometimes it's just a look in an eye. And, and, you know, I do lots of keynote speaking and workshops and to big and small audiences. You can see it in people's it's, eyes. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, so, so one of the books I'm... I've prepared the notes with, with my co-author, Alice Law, is called the superwoman syndrome. Right. And we talk about what's expected from a woman in her late 20s, early 30s, and all of the complexities of all of the things that, you know, you have to be superhero to take care of all of that and yeah. still look gorgeous yeah. and still, you know, be uh, appear emotionally stable and yeah. do this and do that and raise kids sometimes and also be independent. And at the same time, you know, it's just impossible. Yeah. And I, I feel that so many, so many, especially women, if you don't mind me saying, I think men get, be, be, remain oblivious, mostly sadly, because the objective is very simple. It's like, go make money so yeah. they can get lost in that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, which so, puts its own pressure on men. They can end up absolutely. locked into yeah. those situations. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, I think the reality is that so many of us in our 30s, we are in that situation. We think that we're doing something. We think that we're rolling with life, mm. but we're really not sure exactly where we are. We're unable to feel completely settled into who we are. And I think you know, what you were going through is not, un, it's not alien to many people. I think it's very common. So are you suggesting they, sh they should go and do the SAS thing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the question in a, in a, in a practical way, I mean, yeah, wh I mean wh what should someone do if they feel that they're not reaching their potential? Well, I think it starts with momentum of something, you know, you've got to take a first step out of that situation. And I genuinely think that is the hardest thing of all. So in some way, to create some momentum, to do something that is going to serve you and support you in a way that, you know, you, you don't at that stage in your life have the support that you need. It might be a conversation. It might be, it might be physical um, training. That's what it was for me. It's a means of just getting moving. It might be, <laughs> I heard of a great um, technique that Mel Robbins um, introduced some years ago, which is just a countdown from five, five, four, three, two, one on one, get out of your seat and just be doing something that takes you closer mm. to the task that you're putting off. And I think often when, when I do my workshops, I talk to people about, again, not new concepts necessarily, but this idea of, you know, these ambitions that people might set themselves or, or or the place that they want to get to feels so overwhelming and so huge well how do you even begin to achieve that and that, you know the idea of not you can't eat the whole elephant but there are so many things that you could be doing as small steps towards that and often they are the things that you are putting off knowingly putting off so for me my fear of water actually when I sat down and thought about it I knew that I was avoiding that and I just needed to tackle it. I just needed to go to the swimming pool. It was the last thing I wanted to do. And just ease yourself into it, create momentum. And then you start getting into a cycle where you're able to kind of break tasks down into more manageable pieces. And, and you're, you're, you're in that cycle and you've got momentum and you're heading somewhere. The only thing that's worse than the fear that you think you're facing is standing still. I truly believe that. I 100% I, I believe that. I, it's simple when you say it. It's simple when you say it. I think, I think you even take away the fear itself because you're not even telling anyone, go and face your fear. Mm -hmm. You're just telling, telling people, go and take a 1% of that fear and address it, right? That's not a big deal. Like, you know, if you, if you have a friend that's annoying you and it's just taking away from you and you feel emotionally upset about it and yeah, just try 1% of the conversation, go like, hey, chill, right? Once say that and, yeah. and let's see, five, four, three, two, one, and yeah. just do something. Just do it, yeah. I love that. I think but there are a series of kind of techniques that I've used in the past. And one of them, I, I think you'll love this, is, is to create, um, in fact, I brought it with me, an inner critic. Mm -hmm. So a representation, the conversations that can go on in your head. Okay. And so I, I did this exercise with a, a very good friend and coach who encouraged me to do it. And I thought it was the most ridiculous thing. And I was kind of quite childish about it. <laughs> um, thought it was very silly. She gave me a lump of modeling clay and I created this head, this face yeah. that was quite ugly. 
and it represented my inner critic. Oh, wow, Vicky, as they call it. <laughs> right, yeah. okay, yeah. 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 Um, and then, of course, once you've got a physical representation of that, you can, and she encouraged me then to start having a conversation uh-huh. with the with thing. With Becky. With the I thing. I want to see Becky. Is she in the bag? <laughs> She's in the bag, yeah. Becky bag. <laughs> I actually never, never gave, well, mine's a him. I didn't ever. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah I sometimes call him Brian as oh, well. Brian. Yeah. So there. Oh my God, that's ugly. Isn't it? Yeah. And he has a horrible underbite. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, and, and I have him on the kitchen table, wherever, you know, somewhere at home. I actually even took him on the row. I super glued Did him. You? Yeah. I super glued him on the row. And, and, so, and so when, when negative thoughts yeah. were coming up, you would look at him. Yeah. And go like, it's all because of you. And say, you get back in your box. Oh. Because the conversations that I would have in my head were, you don't know Sh- what you're Show doing. him to the camera, show him to the camera. Which <laughs> one? Camera. Yeah, this one, yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, I'll put him there. Uh-huh. You can stare the camera out. Yes. You know, it's a really, little exercises like that just start to help you to work through things that just feel like fog in your brain. And you don't, the hardest thing is knowing what to do first. Did you still have fog in your brain? You you seem to have conquered quite a bit. Um, I have, but yes, I do. I still have self doubt. I still come on. Um, like if yeah. we arm wrestle, you'll beat me hands down. <laughs> yeah, but, Would you? Uh, oh, I don't know. Maybe we should try. Um, <laughs> Are you dating me on Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I do. Yeah, I try. do. Let's so- do that. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Go for it. Well, I don't want to knock anything over. You've not. Damn, she's gonna win. <laughs> that was horrible. Why would I put myself in those situations? Um, um, okay, no, no. Uh, are we gonna edit this? I think out? you made that easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, little things like that can help. Other thing, you know, I did. I learned a great technique called red to blue, which um, is like a mind, a mental skills framework mm-hmm. that helps you work through different processes to control where your attention goes. So the idea that where our attention goes, that's where our energy goes. So if you allow yourself to get into negative ruminations, that's where you're going to stay. And and it's really all about trying to step back. We all have those triggers, all have those moments. We're human, it's normal. So that's what they call the redhead. And then it's really about taking a step back, getting some perspective, and then choosing to, to move to towards blue. the yeah. blue head, which is calm and on focus and on task and where we all function well and can perform under pressure. So they work with elite athletes and mm. big organizations and leaders in business and things like that. It's the simplest technique ever. Mm-hmm. And there are things underlying that that are so simple, like control circles, writing down lists of things that you can control, things you can't control, things you can only ever influence. Yeah. And the only, and the, in the end, what you realize is the only thing you can ever control are your responses to a situation. Yeah, it's absolutely. the only thing. Actions so, and attitudes. Yeah, yeah. So forget mm. about everything. Don't waste time worrying about all of those other things. So yeah. yeah, I guess some of it is just kind of getting into, um, working patterns that create that momentum that help you to take first steps, writing lists, organizing the kind of the thoughts in your head and defogging all of that. And it might feel like you're not really heading anywhere, but it's, it's getting you somewhere and it's starting. It's getting you out of somewhere. Yeah. It's it yeah. really, I think the idea is you may not get to where you want to be, but you get out of where you don't want to yes. be when you, you, you don't want to be in yeah. that red space. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as you start to take those steps forward, you look back. I, I, when I was getting divorced and it was a very, very stressful time and I was scared, I would force myself every week to look back to the previous week and realize how far I'd come, even in just a week. You know, because the ups and downs of situations like that, it's difficult to retain perspective and to see progress. And I had to force myself to do that. And it really, really helped me. So there are just some really easy techniques that I think anyone can learn. And then suddenly you're in a, in a place where you are more ready to, you know, take on new challenges like I did. I started off with small challenges that turned into big challenges that turned into peak experiences. And then once you've had peak experience you can't ever go back to where you were because you've proven what your capabilities really are unbelievable totally unbelievable what you're saying i think i think it sounds simple when you think about it it is simple but once you get the hang of it it just takes oh, a and bit you have of, to practice it. yeah yeah you have to it takes a bit of time to take one simple example and say i'm going to address that issue i'm not going to let negativity i mean the, the the way you described 
being in the waves, rowing alone in a boat in a very, very high waves or whatever, and then deciding to think of all of the beautiful memories you have, right? Deciding to talk to the moon, yeah. right? Yeah. Honestly, it's brilliant. <laughs> I swear it's... But it's, it's amazing what, what, as human beings, we can do to improve our situation. Yeah. I read, actually, after I got back from the row, I read A Man's Search for Meaning. Ah. And I... I must have cried a hundred times when I was oh. reading it, but it taught me so. It, well, it put into words in such a brilliant way. Yeah, because that's that boat for sixty days was really. Yeah, and so, well, it, yeah, it feels feels wrong to compare my experience to Victor Frankl's experience from that book, but I it, I, 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 don't, did I don't learn think I don't know if it's about intensity, but I think it's about the threat Conclude. intensity. But I think mm. it's about the threat yeah. of losing your life, the threat of that constant mental pressure that you were going through yeah. clearly is something that requires you to have that yeah. meaning, yeah. right? The idea of between stimulus and, uh, and response is a little buffer where you yeah. can yeah. choose to do what yeah. you choose to do, which by the way, they say is not attributed to him. At least it's not written in oh, the book. Really? Yeah. I heard that because I posted it once and then someone- and someone corrected you. Exactly. I mean, someone forgot about the essence of the thing and said, yeah. it, they say it's not well, Victor Frankl. Well, that's the thing. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't really matter, does it? Does, it? Yeah, it is like the essence of the idea. what I'm writing, my yeah. friend. It's you the know, concept. To, yeah. well, take the buffer between, <laughs> between the response, yeah. you know, between the stimulus and the response. Vicky, so what's next? Well, as I've said, I'm doing lots of public speaking, which I love. And I love Amazing. finding new audiences to, to talk to. I'm starting to do a lot, lot more workshops as well with sort of obviously smaller groups and practical steps to kind of get people ready to, to take on amazing opportunities in their life. So I do a lot of mentorship and coaching. I do some personal training as well. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I'm planning to cycle across America next year as a team of four, 3,000 miles in roughly seven days. What? <laughs> and yeah, you know, I, I kind of have days where I think it's going to be the most incredible thing ever. And then I also have days, as I did with the row, where I think, how do I back out of this? It's a ridiculous <laughs> idea. <laughs> did, you get, did you get any smart ideas on that? <laughs> I mean, I don't even really like cycling and I'm definitely not very good at it. So, but that's, for me, that's the point. It's finding things that who, who I can- Who dared you? Who dared me? Well, actually, someone put the idea in my head, a friend put the idea in my head when the row had been postponed. Mm. And she said, why don't you go and do this? It's right up your street. And at the time, I was so laser focused on doing the row that I couldn't conceive of doing anything else. I knew that I had to get that done. So it's kind of been in the back of my mind for a while. And any time I get a thought in my head and I Mm. can't let it go, then I have to do something about it. But yeah, again, I want to show that I'm not a cyclist. And anyone can do these things. And yes, we'll be sleep deprived and will be hard work, but what an amazing way to see America. We'll go through 17 states. Uh, there are better ways to see America, but <laughs> I don't think you'll be seeing America. Yeah, you'll be cycling not, yeah. through it, but- uh, Yeah, quite a lot of in the dark, but still it's a, just another way to hopefully test my, my limits and learn new things and have new experiences with with other people and um, yeah, and continue to kind of share what I know so far and to learn more along the way. I have to admit to you, I feel tired just following <laughs> what you're doing, but I, I really, really, really amazed by your spirit, by your positivity, by your smile talking about Thank it. You. <laughs> I'll close with my typical question. If you were to summarize of everything you've learned in life, your top secret for happiness, what would that be? Oh, well, I think it has to come back to discovering what your true capabilities are. And there's a, there's a, a Navy SEALs principle. I don't know if you've heard about the 40% rule. Mm. So they say that when you think you've reached your limit, you still have 60% left. Wow. And, you know, don't relate that necessarily to anything physical. It could, it could be anything, you know, mm. but just to know, to have that information mm. and to know in your head that you can, switch your brain off at times and you can push yourself to a place that will affect real change in your life and lifelong change. That's an incredibly valuable piece of information, I think, to have. And I've used it so many times. And I've never yet reached my limits and I hope I never do. I hope I forever am exploring what they are. That's an amazing statement to say. I mean, in a very, very interesting way, what you're saying is you're living fully. 
Mm. You're really taking every part of whatever that beautiful machine that we're given yeah. is capable of and just pushing it a little yeah. and seeing where that goes, whether it's mental or whether it's physical or whether it's in a relationship and building a team Absolutely. with people that you yeah. don't know. That's it's, exactly, I, I, I very often use that analogy myself, living your full life, not standing on the sidelines, watching mm. in, but just being in it and uh, yeah. You are amazing. I am so grateful that I uh, responded back to your Instagram. <laughs> so am I. Yeah. Next time I'll respond with a dare. <laughs> but uh, I oh am God, so grateful. <laughs> I'm so grateful that you gave us the time to share your story. It's a beautiful story. And I think the journey that you made from that vulnerable, scared, mm. alone uh, woman to this <laughs> is just a tribute. Honestly, I think everyone should take note and go on their path. Thank, thank you. you. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a real privilege. Yeah. And thank you all for joining us. It's been amazing. Really. I, I have to say I'm sitting throughout this conversation, completely asking myself, what am I doing with myself? I hope you are too. Honestly, I hope you consider what your limits are, where you've not been living them and perhaps find a way to, uh, to live a little more true to your potential. I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity that you all give me to meet such amazing people, to have such wonderful conversations and to know that if I can dare her to something, she will do it. So <laughs> it's an amazing place to be. And uh, yeah, I would love for you to uh, maybe think about something this week that you will count five, four, three, two, one and jump and do something that makes you feel free. Because uh, honestly, there is so much in life to explore when we live fully. And while you do it, uh, yeah, remember to uh, take a few minutes to slow down every now and then, because it doesn't matter how busy you are. You can always break that path and there's always a chance to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.